Do you want to hear about great work happening in schools around the world? Just Schools are life-giving places that address feedback, engagement, and well-being for each student. Dr. John Eckert digs deep into the current educational landscape with research, experience, and a good dose of humor and humility. Join us in the desire to do justice, love kindness, and walk with confident humility. Get inspired with stories of improvement in the profession that makes all others possible. I'm excited for you to hear this week from Colin Rowe. He's a middle school teacher who works with technology, and I have learned so much from him about some of the challenges that come with technology and students. But I'm really excited for you to hear today about some of the ways he uses technology to build relationships with students, because technology, of course, is just a tool. It's neither good nor bad. It depends on how we use it and teachers that can use it to make the experience of teaching and learning more human. Well, that's somebody I want to learn from. So I hope you enjoy this episode with Colin. Today, we are here with Colin Rowe, who is a middle school technology teacher at Faith Christian School, a P-12 school, and really excited to learn from him because he has some great insights on how to use technology to build relationships as opposed to what technology is sometimes used for and what most of us think about when we think of technology as ways to get in the way of human beings and human relationships. So, Colin, great to have you in. Tell us a little bit about your background and how you got to where you're at. Absolutely. Thank you for having me on. Um, I am in my fifth year of teaching. I teach, I've primarily taught computer science, the BCIS curriculum uh, at the eighth grade level at Faith Christian School. And uh, now I also teach Bible. I've taught seventh grade Bible and now I'm the, the primary eighth grade Bible teacher. But I have an original background in banking. I got into education um, really because the Lord was like, you're going to go teach. And I said, no. And then he was like, no, you're going to go teach. And I finally broke down had a hard conversation with my wife a month, uh, like a month before school started in 2019, where I said, I think God wants me to be a teacher. I started crying and I was like, it's good. I can't get hired this year because it's, it's July. And then a week later, my principal called me and by, by God's hand, I got a job at faith Christian school, got hired the week before school started in 2019. And I have not been fired yet. So praise the Lord. <laughs> well, well, that's a that's a good bar to be over, Colin. Well done. But yeah, I didn't know the banking background you have, but in classic fashion, you know, there's so many people that are Bible teachers and computer science. That's that's an interesting, uh, very very uh, typical combo. I know, Colin. So uh, appreciate that, and I think that's helpful in framing this because you are at a Christian school, and so you can talk about why you do things and what's undergirding it, where I'm typically talking to Christians in public schools that have a similar why, but they can't be explicit about it. So, talk to us a little bit about how you're using technology to build relationships and how you connect some of those dots about how we are fully human and how we're created as you help kids become more they're created to be using technology. Yeah. So, digital citizenship is probably the biggest thing I do. And we are called to be stewards of everything we have. And a lot of students don't understand what stewardship means, especially digital stewardship and how we steward ourselves, um, our reputation, our parents' reputation, and our hearts. And all of our students are on social media. They're all on technology. They all have iPhones. In our school, they're not allowed to have their phone out during school, which I love. I'm all about it. Um, but our kids are on their phone constantly. 
I can't teach computer science and ethics and morality and digital citizenship without talking about the harms of technology on our students. I mean, this is, I think they're called, I mean, I think they're Gen Z is what I'm still teaching right now at the eighth grade level, but they're part of the loneliest generation. They spend more time alone. They don't um, spend time with their friends as much as students used to. And that's being consumed with isolation. It's being consumed with um, seeing negative things on social media or false perceptions of reality. And that's what all the research tells us. And so I like to talk about that, but then I also like to use technology and show them that it can be used in a way that can be edifying. It can be good. It can be life-giving. And one of the ways I do that is I have a uh, tool where I will, I, me and my wife created it and it sends out positive notes to all of the parents at our school if their son or daughter does something awesome in class. And then it also sends it to those students. So they see something good that is being recognized. And that is huge for building relationships with our parents. At independent schools, at private schools, our parents are very involved and they want to know that something good is happening with their students. And sometimes a lot of emails, homes aren't necessarily positive. I mean, it could be discipline or it could be, you know, conduct, but we want to build good relationships. We want to build strong bridges with those parents as we are partnering with them to raise their children. Well, and and just from a practical perspective, if somebody wanted to reach out to you that's listening and and get access to this tool you built in GoFormative that connects to Google Forms that allows them to create this personalized digital encouragement, uh, is there some way they can reach out to you to uh, get that? Is that something that you're able to share, willing to share? Yeah. I mean, my email is Colin T. Rowe, C-O-L-I-N-T-R-O-E at gmail.com. I'd be able to share with you the bones of it. You can personalize it for your school's context. Yeah. Love that. Because I think what I like that you've done there is you haven't exchanged the interpersonal connection. You've used it to enhance it, to make it so it's more efficient for you to get something out that is personalized and more than just an email or even just a quick note. And it's something that can work for both students and parents. And it doesn't add a lot of extra time to teachers' plates that are already overflowing. I I think one of the things we've talked about where what you're doing with technology and digital citizenship is exactly what we need to be doing, especially if we believe that kids are made in the image of God. We're here to help them become more human in the work that we're doing. How do we get kids to build personal connections, whether it's digitally or face-to-face, which a lot of times is easier, instead of exchanging actual human connection for clicks, likes, and swipes, which are poor proxies for connection, but students feel like that's the measure of their worth in so many ways. So, how have you seen ways that you've been able to pull kids in away from some of that isolation that you're talking about? And we can get into some of the numbers on it because it's uh, it's super depressing, but how have you drawn kids in in meaningful ways? The first way is at our school, because they don't have cell phones, we can engage them differently than schools that where kids do have cell phones. And so my classes are very discussion-based. I love to get kids interacting with other kids, especially kids who are not their friends. I mean, on the Google Classroom, there's like a randomizer where you can quickly create groups. Oh, praise the Lord. Um, Because a lot of kids in eighth grade, they think they know who their friends are. Well, that might be a good thing. It might be a bad thing. But if they're interacting with other people, especially when they're talking about hard subjects, I mean, we talked about... um, 
we're talking about ethics and morality in my class today. We talked about some quotes from Immanuel Kant and I randomly grouped those kids up and they struggled with it. And if you take away the cell phone or take away technology, I mean, we have Chromebooks, we have iPads in our classes. If they get to just interact with each other and have honest conversations, that's, that's where they need, that's where that interpersonal connection comes in. And then we have, uh, we'll have school events. You know, I coach basketball. I like to put my phone on the, the uh, table of the restaurant we're at and all of my students will stack their phones on top of it. And so it's kind of a joke. The first one to look at their phone loses and it, it forces us to sit there and actually talk with each other. That's like phone and, Jenga right there. I love it. Yeah. <laughs> and we did it with my friends in college and the, it was, whoever checked their phone first had to pay for everyone's meal. Ah, nice. Nice. So, so that's what you're, you're, you're making your students pay for your food. Is that what you're doing, Colin? As much as possible. (laughs) I love that. That's a great uh, tool. I think I'm going to use that whenever I go out with groups of people, because you know what's so sad? We talk about the word fubbing, phone snubbing, uh, that we're middle of talking and then we're looking at our phones and completely disconnected from the human in front of us. Adults may be worse at that than our kids. And I, I feel like we need to be owning up to the fact that we can't handle these devices that are slot machines walking around in our pockets that release dopamine uh, regularly that we can't get past. Now, you shared with me some really depressing statistics uh, because you do some of this to help kids understand how pervasive the problem is. You, you I remember from this summer, you told me about the fact that, what, is it 30% of kids sleep with their phones on their pillows so that if they get a notification, it will wake them up? Is that is that number accurate? And, and it, just clarify and add to some of the statistics that make us realize, hey, things have gone a little off the rails. Yeah. So over 30%, it's about 30, 32%, depending on their study, um, say that students admit to sleeping with their phone, either on their pillow or just under their pillow with the sound turned up as loud as possible. So that if they get a notification in the middle of the night, they will not miss it. That sounds a lot like an addiction to me. Um, or just this extreme fear of missing out, you know, fear of FOMO. But more kids have a negative view of social media than a positive view at this point. And uh, the reasons that they have negative views of social media is because it's a, it gives false perceptions of reality. Um, it gives unrealistic views of life and because there's pervasive bullying on it. And cyberbullying is... Like it is a huge issue with our students. We face it every single year at my school. And I know other schools deal with it as well because kids do not know how to behave. I always joke with my kids. I wish I could get inserted into every group message at our school because y'all's behavior would change quick, fast, and in a hurry. And I mean, some other statistics. I mean, if you look at the youth risk survey about that was published by the CDC. Some of those stats get real heavy, real fast. We are, this is the loneliest generation of students and one in four um, girls seriously considered suicide in 2021, according to the CDC. Like that is not insignificant at all. I think 10% actually attempted suicide. And obviously that's coming off the pandemic. But when we went into virtual school in the second semester or the first semester of 2020, I mean, we isolated these kids and I don't know if 
schools have done a great job of taking away the cell phones, taking away the screens, the iPads, so that those kids are getting back that interpersonal connection. But I mean, it's, yeah. Well, I think we have to frame it as it's not taking away, it's adding to. So what I've been telling my, I have a capstone class for juniors and seniors at Baylor. And my innovation for this year was this year, all you're going to need are your readings, a pen, paper, and the people in the classroom. And we sit at this gigantic conference table and we dig into those things. And for 75 minutes, it's like this glorious respite from being interrupted. And at first, I think students were like, "Ah, am I going to like this or am I going to not? They didn't feel like it was punitive because what I'm saying is what you need are these, the 25 best authors I've found on this, on leadership and their wisdom, and then the wisdom of the people in the room. And that's what you need. And it has been uh, amazing. And so that is quote unquote innovative because it feels so different than what they're doing because 95% of college students say they use their phones for non-educational purposes. Did you see this study that just came out from Common Sense Media? They tracked 11 to 17-year-old phone use. Have you seen this? They had access to the phone. So it wasn't survey, how do you feel? They track the way the phones are used. The 11 to 17 year olds on average receive 273 notifications per day. They track their use across 24 hours. And the 11 to 17 year olds um, did not average any time on their phones between 1 a.m. and 5 a.m. The 16 and 17 year olds were averaging time. Uh, five minutes or more on their phone, 24 hours a day. And when you looked at their in-school time, those 16 and 17-year-olds are on between 20 and 30 minutes per hour during school. And so then they dug down further and they saw what they were doing on their phones. And 32% of the time they were on social media, which again, half of students say makes them feel worse. Uh, 25% were on YouTube. (laughs) 17% were gaming, 5.4% were on streaming video. Uh, The the title of this graph is Weapons of Mass Distraction. And this is is the big one. Educators, you know, all those that say we can use it for good purposes. 1.4% of them were on for educational purposes. So in the 1.4%, the the 98.6%, not so beneficial, 1.4% were for education purposes. This is where... I feel like we have to have honest conversations with ourselves as adults where we model good behavior and we talk about where we see this eroding our own relationships because kids know this. Uh, They see this. Uh, The last piece I want you to react to is that there was a study done. A mother who is a researcher got into all this because she found herself feeding her baby late at night. You know, at middle of the night, you're just doing anything you can to get through. And I, I don't blame parents for doing anything they have to to get through those tough years. But she was, you know, doom scrolling through her phone while she's feeding her baby. And her baby looks up at her and is trying to make eye contact with her. And she realized that, that was probably going on for a while where she was not making eye contact with her baby, which is a critical piece of attachment where oxytocin is released, where that sense of connection happens. And she was not giving her baby that attention because she was on her phone. And so, I I don't think it's all just smartphones. You can certainly do this with iPads, with tablets, with with any type of digital device that can interfere with that relationship. 
But as you see these kinds of statistics coming out and this groundswell of like, hey, we know this isn't okay. Uh, A, what's the alternative? And B, how do you use the technology well? So to add to that story, I'm yeah. looking at the study right now. I had a study shared with me. Uh, my wife is also in educational technology, so she shares with me a bunch of great resources. They are researchers and psychologists are seeing a rise in narcissism amongst young wow. children because when parents are on their phones during you know zero to two or three years old, especially zero to one, those kids are having to learn how to entertain themselves, and they're not wow. getting that face to face. And so we're we're seeing a rise in narcissism in these small children. And that is, oh man, oh, that's devastating. Coming. You know, that's yeah. coming to schools here in a few years. And that is, that's really tragic. And, you know, I have a one-year-old son and yeah, there's some times where I want to be on my phone with him. And there's some times that I am, but I mean, I work from, you know, I'm at school at six 30, I'm back at five. I only get two or three hours with him. And it's, my wife's the one that's up late at night with him, obviously feeding him. So I obviously she's on her phone doing stuff to survive and make it easier. But yeah, our kids are being affected by this yeah. in yeah. ways we'll never truly understand. So you, you're using technology for positive thing. You're finding ways to build relationships. So you gave the example of the the digital certificate basically that goes home. What are some other ways you're using technology effectively to build relationship? We've spent a little bit of time now on how it erodes relationship, but how are you seeing it as a, as a benefit? Yeah, absolutely. As a coach, I like to use technology to keep my, to keep my team in the loop, to, to communicate with them, um, to send encouraging messages. Um, and it is one way to give feedback to students. Yeah. Uh, I mean, a lot of my students, a lot of my athletes, they'll text me for feedback after a game or after something. And sometimes it's just when they're driving back home and they think of it like, hey, Coach Rowe, you know, in this situation, what do I do here? And then that's one way where I can give a quick feedback, um, just stewarding that relationship well with that student, obviously. Um, I like to do that with parents as well. I've had parents text me. Um, we try, like I teach computer science. I use com my computers in my classroom constantly, but in my Bible classroom, I try to stay away from computers as much as possible, pen and paper, print some stuff out. Um, and then I, this is going to sound really lame, but I play Clash of Clans with some of my students. Uh, <laughs> hey, so I'd love that. Just so that, you know, they can attack me or we can be part of a clan or something. And it's lame, but it gets kids to talk with me and to engage with me. And I have a couple kids that I'm pretty sure don't like me, but since I'm in their clan, they have to tolerate me. <laughs> that's good. I had not thought about that as a bridge building strategy, but that's good. Well, so I always like to wrap up with a lightning round. So given our talk about technology, what is your favorite piece of educational technology that you use? Ooh, probably Quizlet. I okay. like Quizlet. Um, I think that's really easy to create um, tests or study materials. I, I think it's, they have like an AI tool that's really good with it. And that makes my life a lot easier. Now, that has been banned in a lot of districts because of the number of tests that show up verbatim on Quizlet. So, how do we avoid that? I mean, this isn't really a lightning round version question, but how, how do you use Quizlet well without it being used for less than ethical purposes? Yeah. I mean, 
I don't use it as much. I mean, I lock down all of my Quizlets and then I have a certain code that students have to earn before they give it. And, um, you know, we do this as a school. Kids have to earn the code and they can't give the code out. And then when they do a Quizlet, they'll type in their names. So I know exactly who who did it. And uh, now, obviously, the ethics is if a kid shares that with someone, they just type in the wrong name. That's obviously on them. But I don't. I try not to put real test questions, more concepts on there. I think some students take advantage of that. Absolutely. But I did not know that it was banned in a lot of, re- in a lot of. Distri- well, and it's not because of it's, it's not because of what teachers put out there. It's because students put the uh, entire test on Quizlet. And then that becomes the de facto tool for studying in quotes, as opposed to cheating, yeah. which probably more what it is. Well, our teachers, changing up their tests well that's and so that's the thing i do think teachers have a responsibility there but what i think students have decided is if teachers don't do that that's a tacit endorsement of cheating like if you don't change it then you know i'm going to do it so you must not mind and when i ask students to define cheating more and more i'm hearing getting caught that's what cheating is. Otherwise, I'm just using resources. And so it's all on the table. And that is devastating because there's no integrity there. There's no sense of this is my work. And if you don't have a student's work that they've actually done, it's very difficult to give feedback because it's a sham. You don't know what they can do. You're giving feedback on what chat GPT could do, what someone else could do, what they could uh, crowdsource online. And so that's where I was like, oh, we've got to really, we've got to really think through that. Now I had a question about this. This is maybe a quick response. Um, The game Blooked, B-L-O-O-K-T. Have you played that? I was doing GimKit with some high school students and they were like, we like GimKit, but we prefer for Blooked. Have you heard of that or used that? I have not heard of that. Okay. So let me see if I, yeah, I I have to look it up because I just got this last week and I'm like, I need to dig into this more, but I'm always looking for good things like that. What is a, um, if you told a teacher who was a beginning teacher, here's one piece of technology of educational technology that you absolutely need to use. It doesn't have to be your favorite thing, but you think it's like, Hey, this is core to making your life easier. You, You mentioned the AI piece of Quizlet. Um, is there something else like that that you would recommend? Something I like to use um, is Menti, where I get anonymous feedback from students. Yeah. And then um, there's one that for the life of me, I cannot think of that integrates with um, Google Slides. And uh, is it Pear Deck? Pear Deck is a good one. There is okay. a free version of Pear Deck that I, I, I have kids. I mean, I have teachers use, but that way te- uh, students are able to um, interact and I like to have them um, answer questions on my Google slides. Cause a lot of t- uh, Slido, there it is. Oh yeah. Yeah. Slido. And yeah. it can be anonymous and it makes it very easy for teachers to get real time in data on how their kids are learning concepts. Well, and Slido is great because they can upvote, they can anonymously ask questions and then people can upvote them to hear more of them. And so I use Menti and Slido all the time for different purposes. And so I think uh, both of those are super valuable. And I I will say I'm a huge fan. My master's degree is in technology integrated instruction. And so sometimes people are like, oh, you're you're negative about technology. No, (laughs) technology is an amazing tool. And that's all technology is, is a tool to enhance the work that humans do. It just can't replace the human. (laughs) That's the key, but you can use 
Menti and Slido. And a lot of times you can use the free version and you can get feedback from thousands of people in a ballroom immediately. So I use it all the time when I'm presenting in, in different countries or in big venues. And it, it lets it feel a little bit more like teaching than me just presenting because I'm actually able to react to the people. And, and that's what teaching is. It's not a presentation. It's this dialogue between a group of people. And so that's, that's a rich example. So uh, last thing, what would be one piece of advice you would give to us in this coming year as educators, whether it's with technology or just in general, what's one piece of advice you give? Your students need positive interactions from adults and it has to be face-to-face. I had a teacher, a veteran teacher tell me, try to have a positive interaction with every one of your students every single week. And I have 80 students. I'm at a small independent school. So public school is obviously much different. But whatever you can to get a positive interaction, build a bridge. I had a student a few years ago who he didn't really, he wouldn't really fit in a lot real well with our the culture of our students. He was kind of a, a nerd-ish. I loved him dearly. But we talked about uh, Dungeons and Dragons because that's what he was into. And he actually made me my own character sheet on Dungeons and Dragons. I got it behind my desk. And kids... Kids crave positive feedback from adults. They crave positive interaction. Mm. And you ask a lot of kids, I mean, adults, who their favorite teacher was, that they can tell you who that was. And a lot of the mm. times, it wasn't because of what they taught. It's because they cared. Oh, it's totally. Miss Thayer, my first grade teacher. That's exactly why I loved her. I would have run through a wall for her because she, she cared for me. And uh, I'm 49 and still able to recall that first grade teacher when I was six years old. So that's a great last word. Hey, Colin, thank you for the great work you do. Thanks for the encouragement and the caution that you've shared. Uh, We need great educators like you and your wife helping us think through how to use technology as a useful tool, not as a replacement or something that erodes the social cohesion of our schools. Uh, Appreciate the work you're doing and the time you spent with us today. Thank you so much. I greatly appreciate being uh, on this podcast. I hope you enjoyed that conversation as much as I did with Colin. You can hear from him the passion that he and his wife have for using technology well, and they have concerns, and obviously we should all have concerns, but I hope that you hear the hope that comes from having a technology teacher who's also a Bible teacher who grounds the use of any tool in the knowledge that we serve the creator of everything. And in that, we don't have to be afraid, but we can lean into the things that help us make teaching more human. So as we go through this week in the profession that makes all of this possible, my hope for you is that you'll use some of these tools well so that you can build deeper relationships with students. Have a great week. Thanks for listening. This podcast is brought to you by Baylor Center for School Leadership.